Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Skylight Books Crowdcast channel, our virtual Skylight. Um, thank you so much for joining us tonight to celebrate the release of Fake Accounts by Lauren Euler. She will be joined by Nomi Fry. Um, my name is Hallie. I'm a bookseller at Skylight Books. For those of you who don't know us, we are a general bookstore serving the Los Angeles neighborhoods of Hollywood, Los Feliz, Silver Lake, Echo Park, and downtown. We are open for browsing again starting tomorrow. Our hours are 11, to, they changed, 11 to 7 on weekdays and 10 to 8 on weekends. So come by and see us in a mask if you are so inclined and in the area. Um, in the meantime, and always, you can find us at skylightbooks.com. For those of you who are new to Crowdcast, I'll give you a little tour of the features. We have uh, the fun chat on the right side of the screen, as most of you seem to have figured out by yourself, which is great. Um, you can, for the author Q&A after the reading and conversation, you can submit a question throughout the event in the ask a question feature at the bottom of the screen. Um, it keeps them nice and organized. so. We'll get to as many questions as we can. You can also order a copy of Fake Accounts right here from the screen by clicking Order Event Books Here. Um, or you can donate to Skylight if you are so inclined from this page as well. Without further ado, our author, Lauren Euler's essays on books and culture have appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, London Review of Books, The Guardian, New York Magazine's The Cut, The New Republic, book forum and elsewhere. Born and raised in West Virginia, she now divides her time between New York and Berlin. Nomi Fry is a staff writer at The New Yorker where she writes about popular culture, books, and art. Please join me in welcoming them to the stage. Um, hey, I can hear you all laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this event. Uh, I'm going to start by reading the very beginning of fake accounts. So you don't need a synopsis about what has happened so far. Consensus was the world was ending or would begin to end soon, if not by exponential environmental catastrophe, then by some combination of nuclear war, the American two-party system, patriarchy, white supremacy, gentrification, globalization, data breaches, and social media. People looked sad on the subway, in the bars. Decisions were questioned, opinions rearranged. 
The same grave epiphany was dragged around everywhere. We were transitioning from an only retrospectively easy past to an inarguably more difficult future. We were, it could no longer be denied, unstoppably bad. Although the death of any hope for humanity was surely decades in the making, the result of many intersecting systems described forbiddingly well, it was only that short period between the election of a new president and his holding up a hand to swear to serve the people's interests that made clear what had happened, that we were too late. I didn't believe all this necessarily, though as the news got worse and more bizarre, I wavered. I've always been drawn to pragmatism, just not exactly a natural at it. And my brain says, calm down. My heart says, also weirdly calmly, a paradoxical comfort can be found in drama. It was and still is my official position, if you were to ask me at a party or something, that the popular turn to fatalism could be attributed to self-aggrandizement and an ignorance of history, history being characterized by the population's quickness to declare apocalypse finally imminent, despite its permanently delayed arrival. We don't want to die, but we also don't want to do anything challenging, such as what living requires. So the volubility with which certain doom was discussed made a tedious kind of sense. The end of the world would let us have our cake and eat it too. We would have no choice but to die, our potential conveniently unrealizable due to our collapse. Until such time, the idea that everything was totally pointless now was seductive, particularly as a mantra you could take advantage of when it suited you and abandon when life actually started to feel alarming. I myself was soon using it to indulge some of my naughtier impulses, by which I mean that in the first hours of a morning in early January, when the sky was still dark and the government still inevitably hurtling, I decided to snoop through my boyfriend's phone while he was asleep. I'd never really had the urge to go through another person's things before. After a few disappointing experiences with high school boyfriends' instant message histories, I'd learned that poking around the byproducts of other people's thoughts usually yielded the mundane, the predictable, and the unattractive. Even with men I respected intellectually, I never found myself caring enough to breach their trust. Before Felix, my boyfriends exuded the wholesome, loving, deep down reliability of hot dads on television shows, despite being, as far as I knew, not hot, nor dads, nor on television. Another way of putting this is that before Felix, I had good taste. But over the year and a half we'd been together, Felix had revealed himself to be completely unrevealing, insisting over and over as I baited and nagged and implored him to tell me his innermost hopes, fears, and childhood-formed biases, either that there was nothing to tell, or, conflictingly, that he had already told me everything and it wasn't his fault if I didn't remember. It was humiliating and typical, and per the usual narrative, I assumed he was hiding something. Probably other women. And that's all I have. Yay. And I think Nomi's muted. <laughs> there she's. There I am. There you are. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's Where good. I'm really excited to be here um, uh, to talk to you about your great book. And I'm also really excited that uh, neither of us is doing Silver January anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're able to, uh, right, we're able to indulge a little bit. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, you started with the, the kind of tour de force of the, of the opening paragraphs of the book, which sets the tone uh, quite well for what comes after. Um, and it, it, it made me think, I mean, I was thinking about this anyway, I did prepare some questions in advance, but <laughs> it, does, it does dovetail with this. Um, when I was reading the book, I was wondering to myself what your hopes were um, in terms of emphasizing 
you know, the book is about a social landscape in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, a social landscape that is mostly the internet, but then also, you know, people you meet mostly in Berlin and, and kind of the core of the book uh, and the way they behave and the way the protagonist looks at the way they behave. But the characters are often, if not interchangeable, then, you know, uh, don't come into prominence, you know, they're there and then they move on, um, much like, you know, Twitter feed or an Instagram feed. Um, and then of course you have the protagonist and her kind of internal monologue and her reactions to the world. And I was wondering if when you were writing the book, if you had a sense um, at all of your position, uh, whether you wanted in the book to emphasize a consciousness, you know, kind of a singular mm -hmm. consciousness, or if you were more interested in uh, kind of uh, laying out a, a playing field. Yeah, so I mean, I think when I was like editing it, someone was like, well, do you want to depict a milieu or do you want to depict the, you know, a person? And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know. I never really thought about it. Um, but I think something that while I was working on it that I started thinking about more, and I think that's because a lot of the conversations we on the internet, but also in the media, I think, I think, the internet conversation sort of filter throughout the world in various ways um, was was a real like crisis about what the individual and is supposed to be in the world that is so like obviously collective and obviously linked in this in this sort of overwhelming way. So I think by like focusing in on her consciousness or her perspective, I don't know if, if I don't know if consciousness is quite right just because she is clearly sort of speaking to the audience so she's like doing a performance a very intimate performance but I think probably mm -hmm. it's she's very much aware that she's talking to you um it it, it is like about this individual person who is moving through the world and and I think one of the things I tried to keep in mind while I was doing it is that <laughs> every reader is also ultimately an individual moving through the world and and we don't think about we we don't think about ourselves as 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 part of a group as often as maybe we would like to say that we do right yeah. um so i don't know if that answers the question but no it does it does and i uh i have a follow-up <laughs> um <laughs> uh, which is just kind of expanding the question a little bit so the, your point about how when people are reading the book you were aware of it that people don't think of themselves as just another, you know, kind of uh, uh, soldier, <laughs> soldier <laughs> yeah. in yeah. the world of the internet, but as a full individual. Um, and I was wondering if you were, um, how interested were you in the idea of creating a depth of character? Or another way to put this would be to ask, what are your thoughts about realism, maybe? Or, you oh. know. <laughs> You don't have to say this is a huge question, but I, I just, I mean, I'm sure you have some, uh, some, some th thoughts about that because in some ways the book is uh, postmodern. <laughs> yeah, I think. In the, the trickery that it plays and so on. And in other ways it's, it is traditional in, mm -hmm. in the sense of a first person narrator and, and so on that goes through a plot. So. Yeah, I think, 
In terms of developing a character, so throughout the book, she's sort of resistant to like ideas about character that have evolved in this kind of in our culture, right? Through various ways. I think most people assume that they come from the internet. They actually probably have a lot longer history, but like she's in all these social situations where people have these really sort of simplistic ideas about character and they always want to know like, where are you from? What's your background? Like, how can I psychoanalyze you in a very sort of basic way? And I think she's super resistant to that. So you never really learn very many details about her. You get these sort of like hints throughout the book, but you never really hear like, what are your, you know, why are you like this? Like, who are your parents? Like, what's your, you know, originating story? But instead, I hope that you can make a lot of like, you can interpret a character out of her because she's like talking to you <laughs> really intensely throughout the whole thing. Um, and I think in terms of realism, is that realistically how we derive a character out of people? Yes, I think so. I think when we're on social media, even though people are constantly like engaged in this project of personal branding, people don't even say personal branding anymore, but but it's still personal branding. Uh, you can deduce a character through other means, right? By things that they do that they're not necessarily fully in control of, right? And I was very interested in that. And I was very interested in like, the way that I would watch people interact with each other on social media and interact with me and then sort of do do things that you can tell that they think that certain people aren't watching them, even though, of course, anyone could be watching them at any time. Um, and what does that sort of say about their character? So so I guess to the question of realism, I'm, I think I'm very like invested in it and, and invested in, in mimesis, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Uh, but to be realistic now, I think you have to have these layers of interpretation because everything that we're doing in our lives is so it's so involved with interpretation, right? Like nobody trusts anyone, nobody trusts mm -hmm. the media that they're reading, even people who are super media savvy and like have subscriptions to the New York Times, like have developed this way of reading the news and reading social media that is not basic at all. And so I think that the self-consciousness, if you're going to be realistic in, in, in depicting someone of this milieu and this sort of social scene or whatever, you have to have that like recursive element in there or, or, or it's, there's something missing. Right. Do you think it's, uh, you know, I was, uh, I don't remember who I was texting with today, but uh, we were talking about, you know, that expression in like a yoga class, like we're going to take this off the mat, like you should take this <laughs> off the mat, you know, yeah. like yeah. when you're like, oh, you know, this whatever, like serenity or whatever yeah. else that you have imbued yourself with after doing this class, let's, it's like life is the, the mat is a mirror for life, yes. right? Yes. And it's, um, would it be accurate to say that for you, the mat is the internet, right? Because a lot of the interactions in the book happen off the internet. Um, right. It's not, I mean, a lot of it happens on the internet, obviously, and the central plot point involves the internet deeply. But then of course you have a lot of engagements that are person to person, whether it's, you know, the dates the protagonist goes on, her uh, relationship with Felix when it's off the internet, uh, her relationship with her roommate, with the woman she babysits for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so similarly to like, you know, the question of like, can we detach from capitalism? Like, is this <laughs> no, like, is this a no exit type of situation? Is that your sense about the centrality of the internet 
in our lives or is that or are there or is that too pessimistic like are there hatches of escape because surely like when you describe the way people engage with each other i it rings true to me and i think you do like an amazing job about you know when you talk about twitter like the character of helen of troy that like <laughs> you know which i was like oh i think i know who you're talking about actually in real yeah. life we should talk about this after but um <laughs> The, you know, the, the ability to interpret the, the more, most minute moves of people on the internet and what they're trying to hide and not, as you said, but then that is different than my relationship to my husband. Right. For well, yeah. Or and I think my child or right. whatever. But, but, you know, is that, are your, this is you know, not to be offensive, but are your relationships with your husband and your child is, real is not the correct adjective to, you know, they're not more real than your relationship that you have with me, which is like, we talk on the internet quite a lot and I've met in person a few times. Yeah, They're equally real. Your, the, your relationship with your husband and child, I hope are just better, <laughs> right? <laughs> like the, the difference is quality. You rarely see each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that the, the narrator in the book is like trapped in all of these all of her relationships have this like real tenuous quality and they're all very real. And I think there's this tendency to say like, oh, it's not real, but it, it is. And that's what's sort of devastating about it. Do I think that there's no exit? Um, I think that you can like, I don't know, I, I will steal, I think someone said this in a review or somewhere which they just quoted Hotel California appropriately for Skylight. Uh, you can check out, but you can never leave, right? I think increasingly the things that happen on the internet sort of end up in politics. Um, they end up in, you know, all journalists are on Twitter. They're writing op-eds or they're doing reporting on Twitter. You know, in our sort of lowly field of cultural criticism, you see people all the time being like, do you have any references that I can use? And you can, if you're addicted to Twitter as I am, you can see, you can watch people like, produce things that end up in the quote unquote real world. So I don't think that if you're just like, okay, I'm throwing my phone away, I'm getting a flip phone and I'm not gonna do it anymore. <laughs> your life probably will be improved. I totally support you. I would like to do it too. But I think a lot of my attraction to it comes from the fact that like it's, it that's still, it's still happening. That's still a thing. And yeah, this, you know, if, this is happening on your computer right now. All you have to do is go there. <laughs> and that is a very sort of depressing and alienating and overwhelming. I actually, I actually want to ask you, I do recall that for a certain time period, you were off Twitter. Mm -hmm. How was that? It was fun. It was, it was like dry January, as we have discussed, which is like, it did not change my life nearly as much as I wanted it to. And maybe it's because... I was still, you know, like looking at it and stuff, but I was off it for like five months. One hand, I think I did probably have more time to do things. On the other hand, like it was still like, not, you know, I didn't have like a yoga, like change of heart where I like, you know, did drugs and realized the true meaning of my life, right? Like it was still, it, it was still there. <laughs> it was still there. Yeah. You did um, not keep it off the mat. No, and I think, I don't know. I mean, the, it's really tempting. The just 
I don't, for, I, I've always been interested in like possibilities and like what one could do and what people, how people react to like the possibility or the potential of something being there. And the fact that it is always there and there is always somebody who could talk to you or who would like make fun of you. <laughs> it's all a you great do. possibility. <laughs> yeah. And it's really hard to stay away from that. Um, and for me, I think it's very good material. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, it's it's obviously uh, you know it's it became the core of your of your book. Uh, so at least we can say that you literally did something productive with it instead of like you know all those wasted hours, not so wasted after all. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's like a, an idea. I don't know. Maybe very few people think this now, but it's like an idea that it's not a very good topic because it's debased and petty and pathetic and banal but that is I would argue why it's the perfect topic for yeah. a novel um and it doesn't it's hard to get at this like horrible texture I think it's really hard to get at the like social horribleness of it in nonfiction because you really you know you need to be able to fictionalize people to talk about them ethically yeah um, I, you know, we, a couple of days ago, we were talking, uh, you and I, and we were talking about vulnerability and you said something really interesting, which is that, uh, forgive me if I'm, you know, mis misquoting you, but something, it was something to the effect of, I don't really think that people when they're, you know, within their own consciousness are like dramatically emotional like their emotion mm -hmm. their emotions don't figure as a kind of uh i don't know tsunami of uh of uh feeling uh that mm -hmm. definitely wasn't your word but uh <laughs> and uh and so and so you were <laughs> it would have been false <laughs> of me to portray um you know a more like conventionally vulnerable protagonist because I don't think that's the way people are. Am I? Am I? Am I right? Yeah, I think I think naturally, like a, a sort of performance of vulnerability or performance of emotions in some way comes. It comes about because there are people around, right? So if you're having a, a nervous breakdown or something, and someone's in front of you, you're having a nervous breakdown in front of someone. Um, and if you're on Twitter having a nervous breakdown, then the presence of the audience is in some way encouraging the performance of the nervous breakdown, right? That would be very different if you were alone. And I think the, protag the protagonist of the narrator is, is very alone, particularly when she has this original discovery of the fact that her, her already sort of resistant boyfriend is actually living this weird double life. Um, so she's really like trapped I think in in being in being alone and in, in being surrounded, she's tr surrounded by all these people to whom she can't, she doesn't feel that she can like perform her emotions effectively, basically. Um, and after he, you know, something happened, they, they after something happens, they're always like, "You need to talk to us about it and also go to therapy, right?" Like they're always telling her that she needs to go to therapy and like process her emotions or whatever. And she's like, "I don't want to have this like fake." you know, this do this dialogue that you guys clearly have in your head about what what vulnerability is and what what emotions are supposed to look like. Um, and 
So she ends up doing something else, which is becomes a compulsive liar. <laughs> but, but and do you think that's like an ax an accident of the prote not an accident? Obviously, you chose her and you know her intentions mm -hmm. and character and so on. But is that your choice? Like, would any other protagonist have acted the same? Like, you chose to make her alone. Yeah, I think I think probably a lot of, you know, you could write a character. There would be a character who would tweet through it, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, no, that's the other option. <laughs> yeah, and I think that uh, that is an option. She's way too concerned with her, you know, saving face to do that. And there's a moment where her roommate, who's having an affair with famous journalist, the famous journalist's girlfriend finds out that he's having an affair, so he, she she dumps him publicly on Twitter. And the narrator is like, I was really jealous of that woman for having this like public fit, basically, and like criticizing her boyfriend who cheated on her in public because it was probably very cathartic, right? But she, you know, there, she knows that she can't do it. And she has all these fantasies of like po posting something, you know, making public what Felix had done to her or had done to the world or whatever by, by doing this conspiracy theory thing um, that she like knows are not real possibilities. Uh, and I think that this sort of relate to when she's doing her personas and she's going on all these okay keep it dates and she's making up a totally different persona each time. She's always like fantasizing that someone will find her out and will like catch her in a lie or that she'll be on a date with someone then another guy will come and call her by a different name. and. Right. and she'll be found out and and i think there's this like real desire to like have some kind of intimacy or have some kind of connection without having to like do the horrible embarrassing work of, of making it happen there's a lot of um, embarrassment it, it's it's not so overt but there is a lot of embarrassment and shame in the book mm -hmm. right yeah i mean i had to like control f to get embarrassment embarrass versions of the word embarrassed out i think or hum humiliated or <laughs> thing, yeah. you know, ashamed things like that and um, is not, does that have to do with vulnerability with not not appearing i i know that it's i mean we're talking about a book not about real life but i know mm -hmm. certainly that um the feeling of humiliation or the the the, the fear of shame is something that animates me almost completely <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think too like there are so many things that i'm actually this is this is for a, a treat for everyone who's here like you know there's tons of things that i do all the time that i'm very embarrassed by and then i have developed these like horrible depressing strategies for like hiding or or not acknowledging at all in my public persona right so like and that's, you know, for lots of different reasons. One, because it, I, it would harm my public persona. <laughs> Two, because I think like a bunch of strangers don't need to be burdened by my like bad feelings about myself, which are ultimately my bad feelings and have, you know, you have your own bad feelings to deal with, right? And I think there's this like, the fact that it's there, it's there and it's possible, like you could be being super vulnerable, but it's probably not going to work out for you actually. And it's a trick is quite painful for a lot of people who are like online a lot. Right. Um, 
and the fact that it also produces a lot of embarrassment and shame and gives you lots of opportunities to like do embarrassing things and yeah. humiliate like, yourself like, and others. Yeah, it's a real tightrope. Yeah. Like, it's a real tightrope. Yeah, and it's it just never feels good. Well, partly. <laughs> yeah, that's what Yeah. But it never feels good. It, interesting to watch other people, interesting to watch myself, like, yes. yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about your persona, you know, you do have, when you were saying, like, uh, you know, feeling, um, expressing embarrassment or a feeling of humiliation wouldn't mar or harm your public persona, and, and your public persona is of a, a kind of a tough person, right? Ooh. Like, scary person. Uh, I mean, I know you, I know you not to be scary, but, um, but you take no prisoners, quote unquote, um, in your, in your criticism. And I, you know, I have a friend who, uh, we were talking about this before. Uh, I have a friend, uh, who is an admirer of your work. Uh, so she asked it in the spirit of, uh, admiration rather than, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, she said, Oh, you're interviewing Lauren Euler. Um, you should ask her if she ever has haters remorse, like how, um, how is she so sure of her own opinions, especially when those opinions are quite tough? Not always, you know, it's not like you yeah. write negative criticisms of everyone and everything uh, you're discerning, but uh, you certainly go there. And so she was like, oh, you should ask her that because I think, um, there is a sense uh, that it's, especially nowadays, that op opinions like that, you know, staking a claim like that is uh, is kind of a risky thing to do sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't have <laughs> haters remorse. I think is the short answer, um, but. I think I have all of the bad feelings about it. Like, am I going to do it? I have this sort of like internal drama about like, is this, the, is this right? Do I actually think this? And I think that I would, I would probably have more, I would have much, I would have the most remorse if I wrote a review of the same books, but was sort of like, meh, you know, or like I said something that I didn't think was true. Um, and I, I have regretted sort of like not, you know, standing my ground on certain things. I think that is really the thing that I regret. And I think, I mean, I think it's a sort of like about the a holistic interpretation of the situation, right? Like I'm not, I'm not gonna, I've, I, this is boring, but like, I'm not, I'm not going to write a negative book review of someone who can, whose career or whose personal life can't yeah. take it. That's mean. Yeah. Um, but I think what has been nice about my book coming out is that it seems like there's like quite a lot of debate about it or like people have lots of different opinions about it. And I think that that's very healthy. And while my opinions are that it's totally genius and I agree with the most positive reviews, like the fact that there are people who will write a negative review like out the gate and not treat me like a child, which I think a lot of debut writers are treated like I don't know, like, like babies, <laughs> but like there's, it's like, you know, not like we're 30 years old, but like, you're like 22 and just finished college. That's not why I got into writing. And that's not what my like ideal of the intellectual scene was. So I 
would hate to be like coddled basically. And, you know, if these people are getting caught, I can't, I, I mean, I can't imagine like wanting to be coddled, right? Like you would always have this like suspicion in the back of your mind, like people are lying to you and to take it back to fake accounts. There's this like, even people who are nice to you, you're like, why are you being, why are you being nice to me? Like, I don't trust this interaction because it's so weird and tenuous and comes from these like random sources. Right. Yeah. I always believe it. <laughs> I love being cuddled. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I mean, not totally, obviously, but uh, um, yeah, no, but I, I, your, your point stands. I, I, I get it. But um, we were talking before, I guess one question that I wanted to ask you, um, I remember when I was in grad school and there was this one guy, he was smart actually, and I don't remember which text we were talking about. It was like a romantic poetry class or something. And he kept saying like, but what's the positive here? By which he meant like, like in this poem, whatever it was, like right. words or something. It, he didn't mean like what's optimistic about it or what's like good in the world or something. He meant like, okay, like, the, the, the way it is, it is like we hate so many things right. and I think you and I both hate a lot of things as well mm-hmm. what do we love like right. what do we prize uh, and how you know for you was this expressed in the book if at all um yeah I mean I see, I see her as like I see her as like a little tiny bit hopeful and I think that that's the difference between her and Felix in the end which is to say that they they increasingly it increasingly becomes clear that they're quite similar and she's attracted to him because they're quite similar and she understands him quite well and she understands his reaction to the situation and to the political and cultural situation and like almost envies it in some way and I think that she her sort of negativity is is about like processing through all the possibilities. So she's like very willing to do the things that she hates or to try the things that she hates. She goes to the women's march, even though she's like, this is not, this is not going to be good. Um, she, you know, she, the fra- the fragment section of the book where she's like, I hate fragments, the very trendy novel style. I'm going to write in fragments for 40 pages. Um, and I think you can interpret that stuff as like her trying to understand it, right? And and trying to like process through it so that you can come out the other side and be like, okay, what's like what's actually the good thing? I have eliminated this possibility as a way of understanding the world, or as, as you know, and and I've done it in kind of good faith, uh, which I think part of the reason that I write some negative book reviews sometimes is that I feel like. I understand where those authors are coming from. Like I come from a very, you know, I very immersed in like internet feminism for better or for worse. And so I'm like, I like, I'm like, I see why you're doing this. It's like not right. <laughs> and I, you, people to their credit, like there aren't that many people who can like do both, I guess. Right. Because most people who care about, about whatever lofty ideals we care about don't, bother themselves with pop mainstream mm-hmm. stuff um and are there are there still lofty ideals like would you say that in the in the book there is like you know it, in terms of politics like when you go to the you and the character <laughs> the, you, you can say i don't i never know how to describe um but when the character goes to the woman's march 
you know, there is a sense, some sense, uh, and, you know, and kind of aside she makes about, you know, very limited about her own upbringing and, you know, um, that she cares about questions of class, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, that she finds that a more maybe helpful rubric to, to analyze uh, the world rather than, right. you know, the kind of like mainstream feminism that you see in the march. Um, and, uh, but, but apart from that, like the, in, you mentioned lofty ideals. So I'm just, I'm just interested in, in that. Yeah. List. I mean, I was thinking more very pretentious, like literary lofty ideals, like, yeah. um, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, art, uh, and beauty and truth and things like that. <laughs> things like yeah. That. I actually, I actually agree with that. Like if yeah. I were to be asked when I was reading the book, the question that I asked you, what is, what is the positive? I would say um, that it's things that matter to me beyond the book as well, but it's what I always look for, which is, um, you know, discernment, <laughs> you know, yeah. discernment, um, classification, uh, a certain kind of realism that makes yeah, and I always I always get depressed like it's like the things that I connect with most are extremely negative but they seem very like real or true right like because they're discerning and because they're able to classify things in an appropriate way and and to do this kind of work that that is often dismissed or poo-pooed as like I don't know you pretentious or or whatever right mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there, pretension is real. <laughs> there are lots of pretentious people who are extremely obnoxious, but I don't think like a lot of those, the, none of those things is, is inherently pretentious, right? And it's this like constant frustration or struggle when you're like operating in a non ivory tower space in whatever way that you are, whether you're on the internet or whatever, and trying to like determine what is the correct thing you should be paying attention to mm -hmm. uh and what do you want to pay attention to and what does it mean that you want to pay attention to that and and you know the reality that we live in is this it seems impossible to be nostalgic about it in the future right <laughs> i bet we'll be able to somehow <laughs> because what's coming is who knows yes <laughs> um uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about is this thing that you've talked about, uh, the kind of the main character of Twitter, hmm. uh, right? Where like the, the, the tide of Twitter shifts, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and expands around like some one topic or one person that's being made fun of, or one person that's being like idealized or, right. and, um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and why that's interesting to you. And do you feel now with the book, has it been weird to you? I mean, you have been a main character of Twitter several times, I would say. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but now with the book, it's kind of another, another wave of this. Yeah. I mean, I think for, I mean, structurally what's interesting about the term main character of Twitter is that, uh, it, it suggests that people are reading it like a book, right? Which I think that they are in some ways and you're sort of constructing like narrative threads throughout. So if I'm like gossiping about people or like paying attention to people over time, I'm more able to discern their subtweets and sort of interpret them in a way that 
perhaps they don't intend or perhaps they do intend. Uh, and in terms of my being the main character of Twitter, I think, I I don't know, I, I don't know if other people feel this way as well, but I feel like there ends up being this like hole where you are and you're like, I don't, I certainly don't want to like overstate my importance. And I understand that my importance is extremely circumscribed to these people. I don't like it when people that I know personally or that um, hypothetically have interviewed me uh, then say mean things about me <laughs> that I find yeah. like quite rude and ridiculous, but uh, for better, or for worse, I find it very fascinating that they would do it. Uh, so there's always this like form. weird, what seems like bad form well i'm just like i just remember very distinctly quite early on when i started working for vice that i learned that you could search your link for the article that you'd written or whatever mm -hmm. and you could see who who'd linked it so i stopped linking articles <laughs> because i didn't want people to like see that i was saying mean things about that I and mean, i basically like stopped subtweeting that much unless it's like someone really famous because it just hurts your feelings to For see someone really famous thing is crucial like yeah and they have to be you know pretty famous and but i think what's interesting on social media is that you can watch people like not realize how famous they are um yeah and there's always this sort of like hole where they don't understand what they mean to people and i also think like they don't understand that they mean different things to different people. So like you might be very famous to a, a little group who, who might think of you a certain way. And then you're like, yeah, but what about all these people over here? Like, what about the, like, yeah, the people in Kansas or this, this whatever group of people that, that don't even know who I am. Like, I don't even have any money, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, 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 um, yeah, there's always this like uncertainty on all these different levels. Um, let's talk brass tacks. Okay. Uh, we we were talking about uh, you know subtweeting and DMing and 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 so on and uh, what we do together often. Uh, you and I is DM about how much we hate to write and like yes. what a nightmare. <laughs> and yet you are not only a busy critic, but you wrote a novel. So that's quite impressive for someone who hates writing, um, but also in some ways, you know, <laughs> must somehow enjoy it. I don't know, I mean. Do you enjoy it? No. Maybe you do it at night, you do it at night, is that right? Sorry? You do it at night? It seems like sometimes um, I see you doing it. Uh, not so much lately. Okay. Not so much lately. It depends. If I have a deadline, I I, I will, but mm -hmm. uh, not as a rule. Um, I I used to. I feel like the first year I was I was at the New Yorker. I, I did that a whole lot more because mm -hmm. I was so I was so terrified. Um, but um, so so how so two questions. First of all, how did you make yourself do it? And second of all, did you have some sort of um mechanism to separate the work of, of writing criticism from the work of writing fiction. Um, if, if at all, like how did you sort of do it in tandem or not? Yeah, um, I think that the difference for me is not criticism or the novel, as you can probably tell if you read the novel, um, but like magazines versus 
I can do whatever I want and you don't have to tell me what to do. I don't have to be worried about you like rejecting it in some way, um, which is is both very helpful to me as someone who like is really, I'm really bad with deadlines and I really dread writing as you know, but like if there's an external force demanding that I do it eventually, I will do it. And I think that that does help me and having to do that also makes you like less precious about your stuff. Um, but then because of that, when I started working on the novel, it was like, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what I want, you know, and, and even when it was sort of terrible, it was still like, this is what you wanted to do. So you have to keep doing it. Um, but it wasn't like a breeze. And I also don't have one of these really nice, like I wake up at six and have a coffee and read the paper. And then I work for two hours. I have no idea when I write or how it happens. I think when I was just finished college and had lived in, I moved to Berlin, I would write really regularly. And I would write like in the morning and I would do all sorts of like short story kind of experimental, like poetry, like all sorts of things. But now I'm hardened. Um, <laughs> I don't do that anymore. <laughs> what I would like to have is a reading schedule. I really, the people online who over the winter were like, look at all the books I've read and my book list and stuff made me feel like they were really effective in their campaign to make I know. I know me too. And you know what I did actually, I decided with the new year as you know, apart from sober January, I was like, I'm gonna write a list of the books that I've read. And mm -hmm. now the shame of that is in the back of my mind mm -hmm. when I don't read enough, whether fiction or nonfiction, but it has to be a book. And there's yeah. really nothing better than reading a book. I, yeah. the other day I was, um, I'm not going to say which website I was on, but I was scrolling my phone mm -hmm. and I was reading the headlines and it's not an overtly trashy website. It's on the daily mail, which I adore, you know, but mm -hmm. it's like a, a fine website. I was scrolling it and I was reading the headlines aloud to my husband. And I said, everything is so fucking stupid. And it wasn't even especially stupid, you know? <laughs> it is stupid. And I'm sure some of the things that were in it were totally good even, you know? But just yeah. the, the combination of like everything together just like struck me as like, what a stupid world. I had like a Lauren Euler moment. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah. And and I said, and then I was like, I guess that's why people read novels. I was like, oh, so I guess, yeah, that's why it makes me feel better and not like a piece of fucking trash, you know, yeah. to actually like read, you know, whether it's a contemporary novel or if it's, you know, I'm reading something older, it's, a, it's like a breath of fresh air. And what's interesting about the novels is that they're often not about good things. In fact, that they are about things being stupid almost 100% of the time. <laughs> Yet, they make, yeah. it, they make it good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they can make it good. And it's like there's a, there's a sense of uh, refreshment and like a, a, bre a breadth of, of, you know, experience in it that seems, it sounds kind of conservative to say, but I, I do, I do, I've, I'm more and more coming to believe that. Um, yeah, well, also like I at least am like somebody finally understands, like somebody is, is noticing this stuff, right? Like it's not you you feel 
weirdly like someone else is in charge, <laughs> even though all they're doing is observing. Right. Um, I feel like I see there are s a dozen questions and the ask mm -hmm. a question. And I think yeah. I'm looking at the clock and I feel like maybe it's it's time for Hallie to question. help us with that. It's time. Um, thank you so much for that amazing conversation. I was almost, I lost track of time. I could have listened yeah. to you all night. So that's <laughs> Um, All right. Our first question is from Christopher, mm -hmm. who is a little bit to both of you. Do Lauren and Nomi have burner accounts or Finstas? <laughs> Maybe I'll add, have you thought about it? Um, also, did Lauren start Felix's account or was that someone else? Um, well, that's what we were just talking about. Yeah, that. we were just talking about that. I didn't do that. I was going to do it. Uh, and I just didn't because you had, I needed to like make a new email address. And I just was like, I can't, I can't be bothered. So I didn't do it, but now it does exist indeed. So if you go to this underscore account is bugged all underscores on Instagram, you'll see someone who calls themselves Felix and they have 22 followers. Have they posted anything? Have they posted? They have not posted anything. And I understand too that if I say that I didn't make it, people will not believe me. So I'm just going to exist in the sort of exciting uncertainty of this, you know, possible lie, the fiction, the auto, it's auto fiction. It's auto fiction. <laughs> yeah. Lauren, do you have a Finsta? No, because I'm lazy. I think it's about like, I get like too nervous about like a bunch of things going on and yeah. I'm too lazy. Uh, yeah, I feel like I don't either. I could, be, I could be Alice from Queens. Yeah, maybe you're Alice okay. from Queens. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't either. I think it would, yeah, it would make me too nervous to, I mean, as it is, I spend like 15 hours a day on, uh, on social media. Uh, oh, we are being asked, what is a Finsta? It's like a secret, it's like a secret. Is it, is it fake Instagram? What does it stand for? Yeah, I think that's the, that's I never the, learned what it stands for, actually. Yeah. That's my understanding, yeah. Fake Instagram, so, but I think it's actually a real Instagram. I know, that's why it's weird, <laughs> That's right? why it's confusing, yeah. It's the one yeah. where you post, it's the one where you post your real thoughts. Right, which is interesting kind of to, to think about um, yeah, I do sometimes post to close friends, I guess, on Instagram, but not much. And that's the extent of it. Someone suggests fun Insta. That's probably maybe true. Um, oh. I don't have one anyway. Uh, but <laughs> I don't even do close friends on Instagram because I can't, I just, it's too much. It's, it's a lot. It's mm -hmm. yeah. I rarely do it. Um, all right. Our next question is from Kelsey. Um, what about the novel as a form were you drawn to and would you consider fake accounts traditional in ways and why? Um, what about the, yes, I would consider it traditional in ways and then it does have a plot, I think, and it does have a sort of, um, it does, there is this kind of character arc, even if, um, it's a negative one. <laughs> uh, and I think too, that there's a lot of like the develop, the, her development as a character is you, you do participate in it in a certain way. Um, and I think what's the, the first part of the question was 
What, what about the novel do I like? Uh, I, first of all, like that it's fictional. <laughs> and I think too, because it's fictional, it has a lot of, um, there's a lot more freedom in it that, that you just don't have with nonfiction. Um, and, and maybe working with constraints is useful sometimes, but uh, the novel can be really anything. I think you can like put long tracks of criticism in there in the mind of the character that you're working with. And, and that is very interesting. Um, so basically I think that that's really what I like about it. And, and it's sad to me that so it has such a, not a bad rap, but like people roll their eyes about it sometimes because I think it's particularly useful like for describing the internet in particular and the things that happen um, online and this, and this sort of social stuff is really ripe material for a novel in particular. Also, I will recommend Elif Bantaman has lots of really good interviews about what she thinks a novel is. So I would recommend, I think her long form interview is really good. Thank you. Um... All right. What piece of literature served as your reference for this novel, if any? Um, mm. Oh, I mean, like a lot of them, all the best ones. I did. <laughs> <laughs> What's good? Uh, there's lots of Virginia Woolf in there, actually. Um, and there's also, I think the obvious sort of contemporary influence has been Lerner. Uh, oh, it was Elif Bataman. Someone is asking whose interview I'm telling you. Very, I typed it in the chat. Uh, and it, <laughs> I typed it in the chat. Oh, someone has done like, um, so in terms of, in terms of, I think like contemporary influence, I think the most obvious person has been Lerner. I think that we have a lot of things and I reference leaving the Atocha station in the book too. Um, but there are lots of like contemporary books that, that operate, I hope in the way that they operate in, in, we can say real life because fiction is different from real life uh, in life. So like the protagonist is having a conversation with her friend about a book that has come out uh, and it's Katie Kitamura's book, a separation. And then there's like, she's scrolling through Twitter and sees a review of the idiot by Elif Batuman. And previously in her, when she's doing her okay Cupid profile, she's like asked about what books she would describe her best and she wants to say the idiot but then she's like it's too funny or whatever um so they work all in that way and i think you know there's lots of books sort of self-consciously but hopefully also celebratorily in in the book um so yeah Rachel Cusk, someone says Rachel Cusk. Also Mating by Norman Rush. I've been talking about Mating by Norman Rush all day. There's a there's an Easter egg in there if you can find it. If you can't find it, there it's in the acknowledgments, but try try it yourself first. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Um a question from Emily who says, I think at one at one point the narrator refers to her problems as like quote white bourgeoisie. How did you want to approach the intersection of race and the internet with this book? Um, I think you, she's always like interacting with it in the way that she's interacting with most things, which is like processing them intellectually and then like moving on from them. Right. So I think she, it, when she goes to the women's March, she's listening to people who are also at the women's March say you should be at the black lives matter marches. Right. <laughs> and, and, and she's, you know, nobody's really doing anything about this, but they're like, 
aware of it. And I think what I really wanted to avoid is having her sort of apologize for like being privileged or something, but also acknowledge that like people are interpreting her in that way. And that's like an experience of being online, but also just being in the world, right? So I can also just find that part too. But she's also talking about going to yoga, I think. And she's like, well, everyone at yoga is white. Uh, and also I'm, I work in media, which is also like a white person thing to do. But besides that, right, like those are the only like, those are the whitest things that I do when of course it's like mainly her whole life. Um, uh, so yeah. And then I think when she moves to Berlin, there's all sorts of different, differently, differently inflected relationships, you know, interactions with race that she has, um, based on like what it's like in Berlin versus what it's like in the United States. So it's much more sort of inflected by nationality. Um, there's like a guy who's like eating a falafel and like does something racist with the falafel for example, it's, it's terrible, uh, but basically just trying to reflect reality without making it trying to, I don't want the book to make like a, an apologetic statement or like have a moral about race, just as I don't think it has like a moral about gender or anything like that. Thank you. Um, our next question is from Jay who is curious, uh, at what point in the writing slash editing process did the wonderful quote, ironic and also not section titles that mirror the points in a plot pyramid occur to you? I don't know. I wish I could remember. The, I do, I remember coming up with the like middle nothing happens part and thinking it was very funny. And I wonder if that is what I came up with first. And then I was like, oh, I have to do the whole plot pyramid because I think, in criticism at the time when I was writing, which is 2017, 2018, it was, and it still is, you know, people are always commenting on a novel in which nothing happens and it, as if it's like a new thing when actually there are very many novels in which nothing happens. Um, so I thought that that, I thought that that was like a nice, it was a, it's a very succinct commentary that works as a joke. I think a lot of I think a lot of commentaries work best as a joke, particularly sort of self-aware recursive commentaries. Um, but I don't really remember <laughs> beyond that. <laughs> um, I love that. I guess a final question to kind of tie that up is, um, did you, what was your writing process like? Did you outline, did you know, without spoiling the end, did you know how it was gonna end when you started the book or did that come to you later? I figured I came up with the whole plot at once. I don't just the sort of like basic she wants she finds out her boyfriend is a conspiracy theorist. She wants to dump him. Something happened, some a couple of things happened. So it was very easy to write that way because I just like wrote from one sort of signpost to the next, right? Like I knew that I had to get here and then I knew I had to get here and I knew she wanted to, I wanted her to be in Berlin because mostly because I like Berlin, but also because I wanted to write about expats in the context of reality or fakeness and, and things. And I thought that that was a good uh, offline analog to some of the stuff that happens on social media. So basically it was like quite easy to conceive of. And I, I am terrible at structuring things and I don't plan any of my essays as if you've read any of my essays, you can probably tell. Uh, so I did, I, it was, it was much easier than an essay to structure because I just was really like writing through it. 
Yay, thank you. Um, do either of you have any final thoughts or questions before we um, before we say goodnight? I know it's getting later in New York, so. <laughs> but it's fun, it feels like party. It does. It's like, it's like secret special after hours mm -hmm. book talk. <laughs> Thank you both so much for this. Um, if you haven't gotten the book yet, do it. If you know, read it. It's amazing. Um, I'm so grateful for both of you for being here tonight. Thank you um, for having us. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. Thank you, Lauren, for your book. Thank you, Naomi, for talking to me about it. And thank you, everyone, for being here. We appreciate your virtual selves. Um, your both comments. Your real accounts. Yeah. I love the comments section. I know. I know. This was a very, like, a nice, a nice community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everybody was, you know, brought together by this event. And I like to see all the names. Some people that I know in person. Some people I that know. I just know from Twitter. Very I have cool. friends who are here. Mm -hmm. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good, Good night. night. Bye. Good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.